everyone. Greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, sponsored as always by Running Aces Casino Racetrack and Hotel and website AMP. In this chat's edition of the podcast, we're going to talk to the one and only Dara O'Kearney. You've heard him before. Uh, he's co-host of the Chip Race Podcast, the Lock-In YouTube video series. He's got a couple books, uh, Poker Satellite Strategy, PKO Poker Strategy, and one on the way that we're going to talk about. It's pretty timely. Uh, we're going to be talking about his ICM book a little bit there, which is something I think a lot of recreational players can really uh, benefit uh, and improve their edge by learning. Uh, let's first introduce the panel. I know we got a few guys that are running deep in tournaments, so maybe they'll pop in as they can. Uh, but my name is Steve Fredland. I go by Rec Poker Steve in the Poker Stars home game. I uh, tell you, I'm a little bit emotional. I don't really have a quote other than I'm just humbled. Uh, I made a mistake of just listening to last week's chat's podcast right before this. Uh, and all these guys were talking about how we met and the relationships we built through Rec Poker. So I'm kind of an emotional disaster, so bear with me, but uh, happy to be here. And I'm Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game, and I'm always an emotional disaster. You can find out about me and the rest of the crew by going to rec.poker slash crew. And I'm John Somsky, Poker Geek MN Everywhere. And today I have a quote from Warren Karp. Forget about a chip in the chair. Give me a hand and I'll stand. <laughs> nice. Screw the chair. I like it. Very good. Well, as you guys know, kind of the format of this, we're going to talk to Dara a bit, and then we will transition to community happenings. We'll talk a bit more about what happened down in Iowa at the Run Good Series. We had an absolute blast on the road trip, so we'll talk a bit about that. Home games, uh, if you're looking for winners, that's all going to happen after our conversation with Dara, but let's bring him in right now. Mr. Dara O'Kearney, how the heck are you, young man? I'm very good, thank you. Delighted to be here again with you, fine gentlemen. I've, I've lost count of it many times. It's all right. It's, so you know, okay, so he, I, I'm delighted to be here with you, fine gentlemen. Is that like your standard? I'm here on the podcast, or come on, man. Like it, it's us. All right. No, no, it's not. It, honestly, it's not my standard. It's um. I, sh I should point out it's it's after midnight here, so. Um, <laughs> You're not exactly getting me at my freshest. <laughs> so you're, we're just delighted that you're awake, basically. Yeah, you should really be. But half an hour ago, I wasn't. So, well, let's talk, <laughs> hey, real quick. Let's talk. You mentioned off air. Uh, right now, it's after midnight, but you're sweating some folks in the in the wind tournament. So talk a little bit about that. So people are wondering, hey, he's looking at his his clock. What what's going on right now? What what's happening? You got some students, or you got some people that you some friends, or what's going on in the bubble? Yeah, I've got I've got I've got three students who are who are um, still in on the bubble. Last I heard, they're five from the money, 150 paid, 155. One of them is very comfortable, so he, he should have no problem. But the other two are really short, so they're really really sweating it. It's pretty much now, now I know who how people who sweat me feel because you know six big blinds five from the bubble that's that's fairly standard for me um, <laughs> and but for some of these some, some of these students is a very new experience and they're like I, I, I can't possibly cash from here can i and i'm like you're actually better than 50 50 to cash from here yeah. uh, there's just so many people um i think that's one of the things about bubbles everybody thinks that they're going to bubble because they're short but actually that's not the case i remember my friend neil chatting telling me that at a tournament in in the uk once he went around and he sold bubble insurance so it was like 25 percent um to guarantee the cash uh and he sold, and, and it was on the exact bubble, and he sold it to 20 people. So it literally didn't matter to him who bubbled. <laughs> I don't care. So he was so, four, he was four min caches up. So so what is it, what is the actual tournament that they're in? It's the uh, WPT um, 5K that's going on. Uh, I think it's in the Venetian actually. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, like I'd normally be in Vegas at this time of the year at the WSOP, and obviously there's no WSOP at this stage, but it seems like the other series are still going on. So oh, the yeah. stuff in the Venetian, in the win, um, and I'm hearing from all my friends who are over there, yeah. So, so are these students, are they, are they, if you don't mind me asking, are like these folks that are fairly new to that level of staking, so this is a pretty big deal for them to cash this, or kind of walk us through a little bit of, you know, how they came to be your students, how you've worked with them, how you've got them prepared for a 5K, which for a lot of us recreational is like, oh, baby, ooh, I don't know. Uh, so talk a little bit about the, the process, the journey to this point. Sure. Well, most of the people I coach come from the sort of uh, online route. So they start out playing online and they're doing pretty well online. <clears throat> and then they get to the point where they want to play live. But they may have played online for years and years without actually having played much live. And a lot of them go literally straight into something like a 5K as their first buy-in. And they have really no live experience. So some of the preparation is just getting them ready for playing live. Um, and there's technical aspects to that. You know, live poker plays differently. Um, but there's also psychological aspects. Um, it's very easy one thing that comes up a lot is online that online players in particular have a lot is, you know, if they're used to playing online 20 tables, they're never getting bored. But if there's, if you put them into a live setting where now they're playing 25 hands an hour, mm -hmm. they can start getting bored. They can start losing focus and they can actually start adjusting their strategy. They'll, you know, they, they haven't played a hand in what seems like forever for them. And they look down at a hand, which they would never dream of opening online but because they're bored and, and, you know, it's always the same excuse when, when they start the hand history, it's always, well, I hadn't played a hand in a while. So it's not, it's nine off under the gun. It suddenly look pretty big. And um, so, 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 so that's part of it as well. And then obviously there's, there's a certain amount of, um, well, let's say there's additional information live that you have to take into account. Um, you can talk about different player profiles. You could also, uh, population tendencies are different. Um, there are some things that live players, some areas where live players are very, very unbalanced, uh, just just as a whole. And then obviously, um, you know, there's a whole area of physical tells as well, which I'm by no means an expert on, but I do sort of give uh, a rough run through of what I see as the most important ones um, to my students and also to make sure that they're not giving off tells themselves. Sometimes they're quite relaxed about you know, oh, well, I'm, I'm an experienced player. Yeah, but it's your first live tournament. So, uh, you know, you're, you're used to fist bumping at home when you, when you, when you pick up aces. And right. Maybe don't do that when you're playing live. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's typically the kind of stuff. And also, I mean, even play, players who play online are human beings as well. They get more emotionally invested in, an on, in a live tournament than they do mm. in an online tournament. You know, they're on the bubble there now. They've, they've all played a long day one. Um, they've played half of a day too now. So it would be a terrible time to bubble. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you can't really change your game just because you don't want to bubble. Um, so uh, there's that stuff as well. And then I guess what I'm mostly known for is my ICN knowledge. So mm -hmm. most of these are very experienced players, but they, but their experience is online. And uh, some of them are cash players as well. Um, so they would be completely unaware of ICM. So at this stage of the bubble, I would usually be just telling them what kind of how their ranges are changing, what kind of hands they can't open anymore, what kind of hands maybe that they can suddenly open, and if they're very short, what their shoving ranges should look like from different seats. And, and I'm always kind of curious about that. As as a coach, are you are you engaged with them? Are you in conversation with them during the tournament, during breaks, like even kind of live back and forth? Are they asking you questions? How does that work? 
Yeah, very much so. I, f- I find that most people who play live, even experienced online players, they do find that if they have a hand which troubles them, they kind of want to process it immediately. Mm. So they'll send a hand history and they want instant feedback. And it's not so much that, you know, that hand isn't going to come up again later that day, but they just want to be able to put it out of their mind and move on. So ha- having a coach who can respond quickly in real time, the vast majority of the times they send me a hand, my answer is like, it literally doesn't matter what you did here. This is such a close spot. Yeah. that whatever you did is fine. Um, but, but you know, even hearing that, I think is good for them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and yeah, I'm definitely engaged, and, and, and particularly around bubbles, because I guess that's where my expertise comes into most. Bubbles and, say, second final table. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do coach them in game in terms of, like, just so that they won't do something stupid, like, you know, think that they're supposed to stick to their snapshot range under the gun, two from the bubble. That's right. I think that's one of the one of the interesting things. I heard somebody else say that I don't know, a year or two ago, and it really, it, it should have been obvious, but it wasn't to me at the time when somebody said, well, it's a super close decision, so it doesn't matter. And I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? I mean, it's, my tournament's on the line. Do I call with this, you know, two pair? Do I, you know, whatever, like, but the point being, you're, to your point, if it's super close, it doesn't matter over the long run it's going to even out. And that's a weird sort of concept, especially as you're talking about bubble play. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about bubble play. Obviously you're, you're well known for your, your satellite strategy, which is obviously the ultimate bubble. It's cliff, right? It's nothing or it's all for everybody. Uh, But now you're, you're bringing your expertise in ICM, which is obviously much more nuanced in terms of how do we approach, uh, there's all kinds of ICM implications throughout a tournament, but specifically on the bubble, you know, what, what is it that, you know, why do we need to book on this? I'm not saying we don't, I'm saying, but, but what is it about recreational players' mindsets, our perspectives, our approach that requires us to learn more about ICM? Um, first of all, I think ICM is very counterintuitive in a lot of spots. Um, it's, it's not really the kind of thing that where, where common sense uh, stands you a good stead. I think there's also a lot of tropes out there which are are, are, are mm. very wrong. You know, people say, "Oh, don't worry about the bubble, play for the win, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Mm. Um, which uh, which is terrible advice, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, if you always play for the win in every spot, in other words, if you play every spot as plus GPV, no matter how good you are at poker, you'll almost certainly be a losing player. You ju- you just can't. You'll, you're you're swimming upstream if you're if, if if you're ignoring ICM. You need those min caches to help your ROI, right? I mean, there's. If you don't get those min caches and spots, you should get them. You're going to crush your ROI. Yeah, yeah, and you need those fourths instead of sixths or right. six instead of eights, etc. They're they're all super important. Like there are some time, there are some spots where, you know, the mm-hmm. most you can realistically hope for is seventh, but it's still pretty bad to go out in ninth, uh, mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. you just because you're gambling, um, and. Uh, I mean, I say it's counterintuitive as well. The, the history of ICM is quite interesting, at least to me. It's, it's something I was very aware of early in my career because I, sw- I was playing single table uh, tournaments where ICM is very important right from the start of the tournament. So I kind of got a good intuitive sense for it. I also did a bit of maths from fundamentals uh, to work out basic strategy. But the way poker content has moved on, there's been a lot of leaps forward in other areas. Like, for example, people have worked out unexploitable shoving ranges, just as an example. We went from a spot where people, nobody really knew what you should be shoving to now there are all sorts of apps. Uh, similarly, opening ranges in general uh, from every seat uh, have been kind of solved, but again, without ICM. But ICM has always kind of lagged behind, apart from the preflop solvers, which will tell you like if somebody shoves all in from for 12 big blinds on the bottom, what should we call with? 
um, post-flop was was kind of a mystery. I mean, we all knew that you had to make some adjustments uh, to your play post-flop, but it's only recently that the solvers like Pio um, and Monker have become ICM aware to the point that we can look at how the post-flop strategy changes and often how that actually changes the pre-flop range then because there are certain types of hands which you can play early in a tournament when ICM isn't a factor, but when ICM is a factor, say, on a bubble, they 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 flop the wrong type of hands. They they flop say top pair weakish kicker, and they just can't stand any heat ever. Um, so there, so so those hands just have to disappear from your your defending range if you're the big blind. So there's all sorts of nuances like that. Um, now with the solvers um, being ICM aware, you can sort of drill down and start to see heuristics for post flop as well. Like what happens, you know, a couple of things typically happen when ICM is a factor. One is uh, whoever, the, if one player covers another player very comfortably, they get to do way more betting um, than the player who's covered. The player who's covered has to do way more folding than, 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 than is normal. Um, the, the bet sizes change. Typically, the bets the, the first bet size goes down. Um, but you see very very small sizings. You know, twelve percent, fifteen percent on flops. But then a big bet comes on the turn, and now that flushes out most of the defenders' uh, defense, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's incredibly nuanced. And to be honest, the reason why this third book has taken so long is we're still working with the solvers, trying to figure out what's the best way to sort of present this um, in a way that's useful and in, actionable at the table you know you don't want to just run a thousand sims and say here's a thousand sims work it out yourself you want to look for patterns heuristics how the mechanics of the thing are actually working look look at what happens when you have the chip leader playing against the short stack or the chip leader playing against the middle stack or a middle stack playing against another middle stack and see how the same situations actually play out very differently post-flop um, depending on the stacks, so a friend of mine put this very well. He said, that "When I say it as a factor, you're not, you're not playing. Not only are you not playing your hand anymore, you're not, you're not even playing your range. You're just playing your stack, um, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of times where the chip leader is just betting because he has a stack. Yeah, and then and and then the player who's defending has to has to overfold, but also has to continue with the right types of hands. There are spots where you have to bail on the flop with top pair because it won't be able to." Uh, it, it won't improve often enough that if he bets big on the turn and shoves the river, you can call, but maybe you can continue if you have a backdoor because mm -hmm. occasionally you'll hit your backdoor along the way. And if, and if the chip leader is being a bully, then you do actually sometimes get to the river with a hand that is strong enough to call. So the, 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 there's all sorts of uh, nuances there. Yeah. I just, I, I find it incredibly fascinating. Let me, let me take a, a quick step back and I should do this on the front end of it. We do get a fair number of, beginning players uh, that are listening to this too, you know, playing in the bar leagues, playing in the home games, they, they understand the concept of, you know, being on the money bubble, but what, what, how do you explain ICM to somebody who's maybe just being introduced to the concept? Um, yeah, it's a, it, it, it's, a, it's a tricky question. And, you know, we, we, we did explain ICM in the satellite book because obviously so much satellite strategy is ICM. And the famous example, I guess, that, that I refer back to every time is from Colin Mashman's first uh, seminal book on sit and go strategy, where he showed that if two players get it all in um, on the first hand of a 10-man sit and go where three people are paid, the winner's equity doesn't double. Um, right. it, it only increases by uh, roughly 1.8. And the, the, the remaining equity is essentially um, distributed among the players who, who, who all folded the first hand. 
Um, and that's always the situation in tournaments. In tournaments are the only spots where you actually make money folding. Um, it's always plus EV to fold. Hmm. Um, there are some weird spots in, in, in satellites. One, um, I've just um, finished a, a satellite course for Learn Pro Poker. And one spot I looked at was if it's the exact bubble of a satellite, three players left, two seats, you have 50 big blinds on the button and the small blind and the big blind both have five big blinds each. What's your range? Um, the answer, believe it or not, and this is borne out by the solvers, is you're supposed to fold 100% of the time. Mm. Even if you're dealt aces, you're supposed to fold. The reason is, obviously, if you shove aces, it's plus EV. But when you fold, the small blind now has to shove a really wide range, and the big blind has to call a really, a really wide range. And most of the time, the satellite is then over, and you've actually won your seat. Um, so there's all these really bizarre, weird spots with ICM. It's always about how much is my stack worth? What's the upside of doubling compared to the downside of, um, of, of, of busting. Yeah, and I would like to just, just for the record, John, um, I hope you're listening. Uh, Dara said that it is always plus EV to fold. So I just want John to hear that. So when you and I are at a table together, you recognize that that is actually the situation. Notice he did not say that that was the most plus EV option. I just want you to be a plus EV player, John. And so I wanted you to hear that directly. Well, right. But playing against you is about as plus EV as I can. (laughs) Always a mistake to fold against me, John. So, so Dara, I want to, I want to ask you a question. It's it's a, it's a specific example, but I think you're familiar with it, but it, it has extension application beyond that. So John and I were actually among the, the group that went down to Iowa to the run good series uh, and we both played in the main event. Now, John and I both, I think I finished 37th. John finished 32nd, frankly, because we didn't want to deal with answering ICM questions from you. So we busted before it really became an issue. Uh, but there was uh, an 11-way chop uh, in, in the main event, the, the whatever it was, a $500 tournament or something. There was an 11-way chop. And there were some pretty, uh, pretty big differences between the chip stacks. And I know some folks, I think Barry ran the, ran the numbers, you know, and said, oh, it wasn't as big of a mistake, but they did an even 11-way chop. And so as you're looking at that from a, from an ICM perspective, from a recreational player trying to maximize value, how do you, what through what lens do you look at that through? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I don't understand why the chop was 11-way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, that it was even 11-way. Um, right. it, mm-hmm. it seems bizarre that the, the chip here would agree to that um because i think it was like they had like 60 or 70 bigs and the small stack had like six or eight bigs or something yeah big difference i believe barry carter actually wrote a piece on this that my co-author and um he's i think he worked out that the chip leader gave up roughly 10k in equity for k so you know he his stack was worth 36 and and he's and he settled for 26 that 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 does seem very extreme um after that came out actually i was contacted um on twitter by the guy who came second um who also had given up a fair amount of money and i mean i said to him look i mean at the end of the day obviously people are you know bitching about it whatever but it's but it's but it's your it's your guys decision your money yeah you're at the table you're the money if you don't want to play it out and you're you're happy with an even way chop then that that's all that really matters i mean from from a professional perspective i i couldn't ever imagine that happening um i mean i did actually flash back to early my career when i was playing in the in the local casino in 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 uh, dublin um call it fitzwilliam sadly not there anymore i've been there <laughs> yeah i have so, uh, yeah. sadly closed just before the pandemic started but um 
I used to play there two or three nights a week, you know, fairly small tournaments. And there was one night in particular that was very memorable because I got to the um, the final table, but I think I was either shortest or second shortest, which is kind of standard for me. But chip leader had about half the chips and he literally just mowed through the rest of the table. He knocked them all out. Everybody had about seven big blinds. So they all just shoved and he called and he won every time. So before I knew it, without having played a single hand, I was heads up against him. <laughs> and he immediately said to me, do you want to chop? And I was like, what do you mean? He said, "We'll just chop the money. We'll take an e- we'll take an even chop." So obviously, I yeah. mean, uh, he he had me at ch- uh, he didn't even have to get to the chop part of even chop. He had me at, at even. I, I was <laughs> you didn't sure. hold out for more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're definitely doing that. Yes. Um, um, so sometimes you know, I think it's it, it, it is a recreational thing. I guess uh, pros are kind of used to the idea that different stacks of different value you hear you hear different sort of like false narratives about why you should chop oh well it's all a crapshoot now it's all about who wins their all in right yeah but like if you have if you have to win three all-ins in a row to get back to level with me i'm sorry we can chop at that point right. <laughs> let me know when we get there right. yeah yeah um I mean, I think, you know, given ICM calculators and all that, I'm surprised that, um, I mean, the, the guy I spoke to who came second actually wanted to know which ICM calculator Barry had used because he he, he didn't know how, even, how to access an ICM calculator. Mm-hmm. So I guess that explains why these chops, the, 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 these chops happen as well. Um, I think you have to be careful in those spots. If you're a recreational player, there is a natural tendency, first of all, to sort of go with the crowd and everybody yes. wants to stop and you all agree to it. And second of all, you know, you're, you're, you're happy to have locked up 26K or whatever the amount is. Um, and that seems more important than uh, the additional 36K. I mean, sometimes the reverse happens. I remember hearing that um, when Maria Lampropopoulos, I'm going to get her name wrong, Maria Lampropopoulos won the first UK millions. Um, she got heads up with a recreational player um, and he had the chip lead and she offered him a fair chop, not an even chop, a fair chop. He was he was going to get more. And he actually turned it down because he was obviously feeling gung-ho and he had lots of chips, et cetera, et cetera. But that, that was a spot where I guess he was thinking, well, I've already got 400K locked up um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I'll, I'll play on for the 600 and because I have the chip lead, I'll, I'll win it a lot. But I think what he should have done and the more professional way of looking at it would be to realize that, okay, the 400 K is there no matter what you've right. won that already. Um, now you're in a new tournament. You're in a heads up tournament Love against mm-hmm. one of the best players in the world for 600 K. Yeah. You might have more chips than her, but if she's offering you to chop the 600 K up now based on your chip stacks, you absolutely should snap her hand off. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think that's a case where because somebody has won so much money, they actually think, Oh well, the rest of it doesn't matter. I think they're, they're they're both kind of the same. People are just not really thinking about the additional equity. They're just thinking about what they've won already. Yeah, no, I, I love all the points that you made. I think there, there's so many good points here. I know, like in small local casinos, there is a little bit of a pressure because there's so many people that want to chop all the time hmm. that you get eight handed and they're like, "Hey, let's chop! Hey, let's chop! We always come on, we all chop. We'll just go home. We want to get out on the golf course." And you know, they put that pressure. The favor as well. The favor is a great one. Yeah. I mean, one thing I always tell my students as well is that if, if you are dealing with recreational pairs, like there's a right way and a wrong way to turn down a deal as well. You yes, don't correct. want, to, you don't, you, you don't want to appear arrogant and, you know, you definitely don't want to say, I think I'm better than you. Therefore I deserve more money. Um, <laughs> those are not good words. That That's should not ever a good way to, yeah. Right. You also don't want to be the person, even if you decide, to, I, I always tell them, don't agree to a bad deal. 
but mm-hmm. also don't be the bad guy who turned down the deal. If somebody else is willing to take the heat for turning down the deal, yeah. let them take it. I, because, I always wait. I'm always like, well, let's, let's talk talk to the big stack. Go, you know, see what. Yeah, let's see what he's maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I, I, I mean, and I'm like, all right, sweet. I don't need to be the bad guy. Oh shoot, that's too bad. Yeah, I definitely learned this the hard way. My, my second ever final table was uh, at a tournament here in Ireland <clears throat> uh, 13 years ago, and they wanted to do a chop six way. I was the shortest, but they were basically just going to give me sixth place money and a, and a tiny little bit more. Mm. And they were giving the chip leader, who had less than half the chips, um, they were going to give him first prize. And I was like, I can't, I can't possibly agree to that. That's just a terrible okay. deal for me. Yeah. Um, because again, it's it's one of those sort of logical fallacies that well, the short stack's usually going to come six, so just give them six and a little bit more. But actually, your equity, I think people always underestimate the equity of the short stack and overestimate the equity of the chip leader. Yeah. Um, uh, but but I turned that deal down, and then I basically found myself playing against five guys who were determined to get me out of the tournament at all costs, so that they could they could they could do the chop that they all wanted to do. Um, and it, it's 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 very difficult, you know, when you're getting tag teamed at a poker table. Yeah. But at <laughs> the might, end of the day, you're not you're not out much. If they only offered you a tiny bit over six. It's true. Know, yeah. Yeah. No. I, afterwards, my brother actually said to me, "Do you regret taking the deal?" I said, "No. I I feel utterly ashamed of myself if I had taken the deal." Yeah. I mean, what happened afterwards happened, but you know, that's... chances of doubling and tripling are higher because they're coming after you if you can pick up a pick up a yeah. hand. So I'm kind of curious, like, what are your what are your recommendations? I know we're kind of getting off topic of the book, but um, you know, I mean, the way that I typically would handle the chop thing is because, and this is my honest answer, is I want the experience of playing it down. So that usually is sort of the, the excuse I'll use. Hey, if we want to do a little partial thing and play for a bunch of top, I, you know, I'm not going to be, be, you know, a schmuck about it, but usually that does help people say, man, I know maybe I should shop, but I really want the experience of playing six-handed, five-handed, four-handed, three-handed, two-handed, you know, heads up. And, and that, that does help. I mean, are, are there other sort of ways that you, you know, practiced or heard about that kind of lets people off the hook without being kind of the bad guy? Yeah, that's a much better way to, to frame it. Or, or also just say, I like to gamble. Uh, that's something that most, <laughs> most people who find themselves in the casino can relate to. They're not going to hold it again. Yeah, I mean, the, there's cert- the, 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 there is certainly a feeling among recreational players when they're not one of the people involved in a chop. Yes. That you know, there's some there's some sort of something not quite right about a chop where a tournament just ends with eleven people yeah. left and we don't really know who the winner is. People like seeing it played out to the end, and this is why the WSOP officially doesn't allow chops. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who actually did chop a WSOP event, yeah. I can say that they happen officially all the time, but officially uh, they, it doesn't allow them, and and that's because it's it's just much better for the sort of sporting narrative of a poker tournament you know 400 people or whatever enter and there's one winner at the end with with, with his winner's photo um uh, so some of the other operators also don't facilitate shops and even some of the poker sites um there are certain poker sites uh, um, including the one i represent actually unibet who who don't facilitate shops in any way Um, and that's because i think recreations do kind of like the idea well it's a tournament just play it out play it out yeah. and, and, and see who wins um, I so i think you can kind of play into that the mspt doesn't and part of that for them was they used to broadcast all the final tables they don't want to you know set up all the technology and then they get to eight people and they chop it and it's over like that's that bad tv but but yeah so they and they they will actually sorry to pitch you out there but like so they will even like you know, you can't even talk about it. like if we catch you in the bathroom talking about it you're not invited back where it's like the wsop at least like the daily deep stacks, I've been involved in some of those and they won't facilitate it. But as long as you trust the people enough to say, well, let's go to the payout cage together. I'll give you a thousand, you know, whatever. 
you can still do it, but it's, you know, but you have to facilitate it yourself. Yeah. And, and I mean, that, 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 that opens risks. There was a story a few there years ago about yep. some guy who agreed to chop and, and, and then said, um, I'm worried about those people. Um, can, can you have security escort me out? Basically made off with first place prize money. Um, yeah. So I th- yeah, I mean, my, my own feeling is, you know, chops are going to happen. So they should just kind of accept that and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and facilitate them so that there's everybody's protected um like when i chopped my wsap event it was heads up um and i absolutely had to trust the other guy i was probably going to come second so therefore i was going to be relying on him to transfer me the surplus after the event mm-hmm. because the wsap don't allow uh chops we couldn't publicize it anyway so you know i couldn't even put out a tweet saying we've agreed to a chop um okay. to, to, to sort of make it public to refer back to afterwards so it, it was a total trust issue and to be honest if i hadn't trusted the guy and know, known him pretty well i probably wouldn't have done the chop because it just seems like a, a major negative free roll um yeah. and i think that's something organizers should think about too if if they are taking a very hard line and oh no no we don't we don't do chops right. um yeah well then maybe some of your customers are going to get ripped off down the line yeah, I, I only did it because I was the one that would be giving the cash away and I trusted myself. But yeah, if it was the other way around, I don't know if I would have done it because even though they seem nice, but yeah, money is a, money is a creature that grabs hold of all of us sometimes. Yeah, okay, John, John, Jim, I've been talking, talking to ours a year off. Anything from you guys? What's kind of milling about in your brains, Jim? Well, I, I, I play, uh, well, before the pandemic, I used to play in a, in a bar league um, with my cousin up here in Southern Ontario and there's um, there's a few good players there, and a few intermediate players, and a few beginners. And uh, one of the better players will routinely get head up, get heads up with a huge chip lead, and uh, chop it evenly every single time. And it's one of those things where I've even I've I've almost wanted to be like, hey, uh, should we, like uh, you're you're good at poker. I, I want to like mm, you're you're missing out on this one thing. But of course, I also play. <laughs> a lot of these home games with them i don't mind taking the even job players you want to get part of that (laughs) exactly see you see me steve but dara i guess my question was uh for for players like this that are in in the bargain leagues in the home games is there like one thing they should is there one way they could learn about icm other than buying your book soon when it comes out is there one like way of thinking about it or um is there something they could use to study it or practice it or something that um would help them kind of under- grasp the concept even just a little better yeah th- 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 there, there is an online icm calculator and usually the way i teach icm to people is i i type in a pile of chip stacks at a final table and with a payout and then i ask them how much do you think the chip leader stack is worth and they always underestimate that mm-hmm. how much do you think the chip leaders chip stack is they always overestimate that um, so I think playing around with that yourself and just looking at the numbers, you'll, you'll sort of get a, um, you'll, you'll, you'll find some surprises. You know, a lot of people think if they're the shortest stack by far, then their equity is basically just barely whatever the next cash is. But that's never the case. It's always a, a good bit more. I've developed some what I call guerrilla maths methods, um, which I actually Kevin Martin was asking me about. Um, and it came out of a conversation I had with him where the easiest way is let's say there are 10 people left and um, what, what you should do is you should take the next cash and multiply it by 10 and everybody's guaranteed that. So, so, so your stack is worth that at least then mm. work out what's left in the prize pool when those 10 min caches have been taken out. Um, and then you, your percentage of that secondary prize pool is roughly whatever percentage of chips you have in the tournament. Mm. Um, and that will, um, 
that that will immediately show you that your equity is actually way more than the main cash. Um, the other part, once once I've got that message across to people, usually the next thing I do is, okay, now let's imagine two middle stacks get it in against each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much do you think the middle stack who wins equity will increase? And obviously the middle stack who busts, assuming they have the same stack, will go to zero. And people are always surprised at, at you know just how extreme it is. You know, maybe the the guy who doubles um, has only increased his equity by forty percent, and the guy who's lost has lost it by a hundred percent. Has lost a hundred percent. And you can very quickly, when you if you play around with that sort of thing, you'll, you'll get a sort of an intuitive sense of, okay, the chip leader doesn't tend to have too much ICM because, well, he can't be eliminated. The shorter stack, he also doesn't have too much ICM. But his but then the ICM of everybody else really depends on who they're playing against. If a medium stack is playing against the chip leader, he has a lot of ICM pressure on him. It, doubling will do nothing like what 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 the cost of of, uh, of losing and busting will be. Um, but if he plays against the, the short stack, it's different. Um, so I think playing around with those scenarios, obviously there are preflop solvers as well, but they just tend to spit out ranges. I think it's very useful to sort of understand the uh, the basic concept underlying of like, why is it the case that middle stacks have to be so tight when they're playing against other stacks or their bigger stacks? Um, so I want to jump in on another one. I know John's next in line, but um, when you tell... so. I, the uh, kind of the corollary to that, the other side of that is how do we play against players that don't themselves understand ICM pressure? Because I think this is a spot where in sometimes where we're like, oh, well, they can't call here. You know, they can't proceed here. And they do because they are not aware of the ICM pressure that they're under. And we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot. Um, is there a way that you can kind of tell how ICM aware our foes are? Or is there a, is there a way to play against them other than just by tightening our ranges and pretending that ICM pressure kind of doesn't exist because they're not feeling it anyway. Yeah, I mean, you can usually get a sense from, from the way people are talking how ICM aware they are, um, and 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 what sort of adjustments they're going to make. Um, but then you you also have to sort of look at what people do rather than just what they necessarily say. Sometimes you get guys who proclaim the fact that they're just playing for the win and they don't. Mm-hmm. They don't care about the min cash, but they're actually the tightest players on the table who do care the most about the min cash. It's a sort of a false bravado. Uh, you also get guys who say, if you shove my blind, I'll call any two. Uh, they're, they're never the guys who will call you any two. Um, so uh, what I usually do in those situations is I just kind of chat to them and then you kind of quickly get a sense of how much they know about poker in general and ICM in particular. And this is one of those spots where you definitely want your opponents to know uh, rather than not know. Uh, to the point that David Lappin always says that you should educate the table if they're if they're all uneducated, you should actually start teaching them ICM so that, so that they're aware. You're raising every every hand with a big stack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I've used this example a lot, so part your listeners will have to pardon if they've heard this example before. But a few years ago, I was um, on the bubble of a Nazi Millions main event seat down in, in Melbourne. And I was lucky enough to have uh, November Niner Antoine Sue to my immediate left, which would normally be a terrible thing. Uh, but it was actually amazing in this spot because I knew that he knew that he had to fold everything, even if I was shoving any two. Um, so therefore, I could shove any two. Now, if I had had an Australian recreational there who was going to look down at pocket eights and think that they had to call, now I suddenly have a lot of calculations to do about what my shoving range should be. Uh, you know, 21 left with 20 seats. Um, and I mean, it got to the stage where 
you know, he just said to me, like, why are you pretending to look at your cards? Like, I know you're shoving any two. Why are you looking, right? And you know I'm folding any two. So let's just give up on the pretense. Now, I think all the Aussies at the table probably thought it was the two euros colluding, but but it was just a case that we kind of, we did we, we did kind of both know the strategy in that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 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 yeah, no, it, it, it's extremely important. And I mean, we obviously cover this a lot in this in the satellite book. If the players behind you are going to call off too loose and make bad calls, it's bad for them, but it's terrible for you. Yeah. Um, and if you don't make an adjustment to it, that's just horrendous. I mean, there are spots where, you know, GTO might be to shove 40%, but if there's one player behind who's going to call a bit too loose and you plug that into the into the solver, the solver will now say you can only shove 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other spots where, you know, if they're all a little bit too tight, instead of shoving 40%, you can shove 100%. It's, it, it's, 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 it's really important also to sort of kind of, realize that fold equity is really the most important thing. Like you are much better off shoving seven, two off from the small blind into a big blind who understands what he's supposed to do than ace queen under the gun mm-hmm. at a table where people are going to look down at a, pay, at, a at a decent pair um, <clears throat> and, 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 and call. So you have sort of the, uh, more people who might have a hand to fade. Um, so I, I, I think that's the biggest shorthand you, you, you can take. Like even theoretically, it's correct to, sh- to actually shove wider than snap shove ranges in late position when I say them as a factor. But that's only true if the players behind know how tight they are. They're supposed to be in terms of their calling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, and if they don't, then it really swings the other way and you have to be very, very tight, which, which of course sucks. Um, but there's, not, there's nothing you can really do about it. But there's there's not much better than being on the bubble with a big stack of people are folding like they should. Like that is as good as it gets. And you're like just praying the bubble doesn't burst. Like just keep going. Uh, I want to get to John, but real quick, let's just do a check in. Are there, are there you guys are you guys in the money or what's going on? They're literally one from the money now. And still all in. Uh, They're all three still in. One, one, one of my students has four point five big blinds. So. Okay. <laughs> and says. I feel like people are laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he'll be laughing when he cashes the check. So, yeah. oh, that's 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 rough, right? You just feel so helpless. And, you know, everybody at the table, you know, if you get it in, everybody's rooting against you. you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I said I, I, I said to my student, this is the most nervous I've been on a ball because usually I'm there and I'm kind of like, whatever happens, happens. But for a student, it's because oh. it's also the helplessness of it. You don't, you, you obviously can't do anything. Uh, like bu- bubble soaps uh, have so many weird spots. Like I was on a bubble in Romania for three hours once at a unibet open, and I never had more than three big blinds. So that was a long, tense bubble. Three hours <laughs> for three hours, yeah. Oh. And 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 uh, and we 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 got into it at the point where I had to call the tournament director over and get clarification: what gets posted first, big blind or anti? Yeah, because yeah. uh, mm-hmm. that makes a huge difference. And in this tournament, it was actually it was actually big blind. So when I had two big blinds, I knew that I could dust off one big blind, have my stack <laughs> with absolutely no uh, downside for me. Um, so the previous orbit, somebody had min raised. Mm. I, I had three big blinds or three and a half big blinds and I had pocket fives, no fold equity, so I couldn't shove. But I thought, well, I can call because it doesn't matter whether I have one big blind or two big blinds. The only thing, the only difference is if I have two big blinds, I'm going to be able to play the big blind ante. Yeah. By one big blind, I'm still going to be able to play the big blind and I still have an entire orbit. So I called and tried to hit a set <laughs> and people were looking <laughs> at me going calling, like, you're calling what up? earth is he doing? He just called half of his stack and then check folded a 10 high flop. <laughs> but it was the right strategy. But yeah, yeah, it looks, those things are super weird. People are like, what has he got here? <laughs> he's like, what is he doing? Like, I don't even know what he's doing now. 
John, what do you got, young man? Well, so I was just going to look at it from uh, a couple of points from a recreational point of view. First, you know, I'm not playing in tournaments that are going to ever be life-changing money. Even when the first place prize could be like dramatic, that's still not quite life-changing. Um, and I also play for the experience of playing. So my preference is to always play the tournaments out and not do uh, chopping, uh, partially because everyone remembers who won the tournament. They don't remember who came in fourth or third or any other uh, position. And I also uh, like to get along with all the other players. So when there's uh, so much pressure to chop, I kind of feel like uh, I'll go along with it if everyone else wants to. Um, I haven't been in the situation often enough to make it a real big difference either way. But how would you suggest that a recreational player looks at the bubble and chopping? You know, if they'd rather get into, get experience so that when they are playing for bigger money, they have more tools in their arsenal to actually uh, win those events versus chopping the smaller events. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's like you always have to remember the reasons why you're playing poker. And I, I, as a professional, my reason is always to maximize my equity, win as much money as possible. But that's not the reason everybody plays poker. Um, some people like to win poker tournaments um, more than, and, you know, if they lose a little bit of equity or money, always playing for the win, that's made up for by how good they feel when they're getting the winner's photo taken. And and, and that's, that's perfectly fine. Um, I, I certainly would scoff at anybody who takes that approach. It does depend on the stake levels as well. Um, I had a student a few years ago who came from the world of um, esports and he was playing the WSAP main event for the first time and he had a really short stack. So my only advice to him was like, stall. You literally have to stall as much as you as, as they will let you get away with. And he ended up bobbing and he came to me with a sort of sheepish, yeah, I wasn't able to do the stalling thing. They all they all didn't like it and I didn't want to uh, to upset mm -hmm. people. So I, I, I stopped doing it. And my, uh, my response to him was like, okay, well, I mean, if the opinion of those nine people that you will never see again um really means more to you than 20 grand then right. so be it uh that's fine but um certainly wouldn't have been my um, my response in the situation um but yeah i mean you know we we play poker for fun and that's i mean that's you know that's kind of came down to when the guy who was second in that iowa chop contacted me i mean i mean if he'd been a professional yes of course i would have told him there's no way you should have agreed to that chop but He's not a professional, he's a recreational player. He had a very positive experience in that tournament. Um, and, you know, he, there's no reason why you should feel ashamed of that. Mm -hmm. he's, he's playing poker for different reasons than I am. Um, and, um, and, and that's fine. When I started playing in Ireland, um, the, uh, um, there was, a, there was a, an, an elderly lady, lady who used to play in all the tournaments. And she used to bubble a lot to the point that her, her nickname was Bubble Girl. Um, but... You know, I, I remember a professional said to me once, like, why doesn't she change her strategy? Uh, and I said, like, you have to realize the money means nothing to her. She's she, she's so rich. She's not playing for the money. She's playing for the experience of being in a tournament, mm -hmm. the experience of being, and she wants to be in it as long as possible. So from that perspective, her strategy is absolutely optimal. She never busts tournaments early. She's always in her, in or around the money, at, at, at the money stages. Um, so in terms of what she's trying to get out of poker, she's, she's playing perfectly. Hmm. I love it. Well, all I know is uh, in Ireland, it seems like it's a little different poker. The, the times I was there, I played at the Fitzwilliam and 
my head was spinning. I was pretty new to the game, but I was like, what is happening? These folks like to mix it up and get their chips in the middle. So it was a, it was a pretty interesting experience. So uh, we, let, let's honor your time here. Are, well, first of all, are they in the money yet? Are they in the money? Yet? No, no, they're still, they're, they're hand for hand. And um, right. my, 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 my shortest student is big blind next hand. So it's not okay, looking so, very good. So we'll be down to two and a half after this. If nothing yeah. works out. All right. So dang it. I was hoping we could find the, find the answer. We want to respect your time. And so when, what is your latest ETA on when the ICM book is coming out? Um, yeah, we keep saying we're, we're, we're hoping to get it out soon. We're going to have to stop saying that because... Uh, <laughs> you, you said you hope to get you, it out soon. That's an honest thing. Yeah. yeah. You hope to get it out soon. But do you have, you have any kind of ETA or is it kind of up in the air still? Yeah. Barry has said maybe end of August. Um, okay. Um, and that's certainly what we're working towards at the moment. We did get slightly sidetracked because we we developed the um, the satellite course. We learned pro poker, and mm -hmm. that proved to be mm. a lot more time consuming than we expected. Because we decided, like rather than just do a course version of the book, um, we would literally put everything I knew about satellites into this course, <laughs> uh, like literally everything. And uh, <laughs> it turned out literally everything is quite a lot. So <laughs> it took a lot more. To, it, it was a lot easier for the book because we were like, well, we're not writing a thousand page book on satellites. Nobody's going to buy that. But, you know, mm -hmm. people will, will buy a 15 hour video course or whatever it is, um, broken down into six to 10 minute chunks, um, which again, uh, it's funny like when I think back to the book one of the things we were worried about was we knew from our own experience that most people don't read don't get to the end of, of the poker books that they buy mm -hmm. um I probably have a hundred poker books behind me and I I reckon I got to the last page on about four of them <laughs> um, you do just bail on them at some point um so we were actually aware of that when we when we when we wrote satellite so we said well okay well how, how will we uh, sort of take that into account so what we did was we put all of the most important stuff at the start so that if people did stop halfway through the book, at least they had all, all the most important stuff. And in satellites, the most important stuff is the bubble, um, how you play the bubble. Um, so we started the book with like a 30 minute guide to satellites, which sort of gives all the major concepts. And then we went sort of bubble, middle game, early game, because that's the order of importance in a, in a, in a satellite. Um, but obviously with with a, a course it's slightly different you do expect people to get through a course um particularly if you have structured it properly and you've broken it down into digestible chunks i think that that's the most important thing i actually had training before in, in sort of like producing educational materials and i think one thing that poker content routinely gets wrong is it doesn't recognize that the attention span of the average human doesn't really go up past 20 minutes yeah. um you people start to really struggle after 20 minutes um, so you're much better off breaking uh, your content down into 20 minute or less chunks uh, rather than putting out one hour videos or, 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 or whatever. Um, so one of, the, one of the things which I was most pleased about when we were talking to Learn Pro Poker is that's very much <clears throat> their strategy. They typically aim for six minute videos because they kind of have done work on this and they find that most people do actually just watch a six, they'll watch a six minute video. Um, but if they see a video is going to be an hour, They'll 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 be much more reticent to even start it. So I two key takeaways from your last comments. One is the second half of all your books are completely worthless. <laughs> the first thing I heard. Yeah. The second thing was if this new book is now by August thirty first, everybody in Rec Poker Nation gets one for free. That's what I heard. <laughs> I heard that too. Yeah, no, strong words. No, good yeah. good insights, man. I think I think that's so intriguing about the you know the nature of the business too. I mean all this. Some people think, oh, you just write a book. Oh, you just create a video. Well, you guys are thinking through, you know, personal behavior, behavioral dynamics and all this kind of stuff too. So you try to bring the best product. So I think it's fantastic work. But I mean, you are obviously 
imprinted on the poker community as, as one of the great minds in poker satellite. And I love that you're, because, because you know, ICM is just sort of that's, you know, satellites are ICM on steroids in a sense of, you know, they're, they're so related. So I love that you're extending it out for, for all of us to kind of grab hold of that. And especially like, I love how you think about things in terms of, let's just give you some principles. We'll do, we'll do all of the, all of the extensive research and you can trust us and you can dig into it if you want, but here's what you need to know. And I think for recreational players, especially like that is gold for us. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing on that. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah. That's, that's very refreshing. It, it, it has been very refreshing to see the reaction because when we wrote the books, they were aimed squarely at recreational players, but you know, part of my concern was, well, I'm not a recreational player. So there's a danger. Um, I'll just I'll just get that stuff wrong um but we did put a lot of thought and, and Barry was a very useful placeholder in that because despite having played poker for much longer than me Barry's still pretty terrible at poker <laughs> he's very much of a <laughs> so if you can explain it to Barry <laughs> this is exactly it I, I would explain it to Barry and then if I could explain it to Barry and Barry could write it usually wrongly right? but at least I could correct the, dra- the draft whatever whatever gibberish he came up with um at, 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 at least it was sort of structured the right way um, that, that the people like Barry would would, would, would like get what they want. That's so funny. Well, John, Jim, any anything, any from the panelists, any final questions, comments before we we let this big guy go? I'm I'm putting travel plans together for October, Dara. Do you have any dates circled for uh, WSOP? Are we going to get you over to the Rec Poker House to talk ICM and uh, break some bread? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm desperate to get to the uh, to um, WSP this year. I will definitely be there if I can. Having looked at the schedule, I noticed that the uh, seniors is towards the end of October. So if I came in and, and, and played that, and then I could stay till the end. It used to be the case that when you bust them in, there was nothing to do. But now they have lots mm, of events afterwards, yeah. so you can sort of commit yeah. to being there for the end, irrespective nice. of how your main event goes. Um, so yeah, travel restrictions permitting. I mean, we're mm. we're we're now dealing with I think it's our fourth wave of COVID. Um, there's worry about the Delta variant, which is uh, now the, the main variant that's going around here. We are still in a situation, as uh, as we speak, where you can't fly direct from Ireland to the US. You have to spend two weeks outside the EU first, um, which is fair enough given the the, the infection rates here. Um, you can you can fly the other way. You can fly US to you to Ireland, but not not the other way. So. I think those restrictions would have to be lifted. I don't really like the idea of having to spend two weeks in as, as wonderful as these places are. Mexico. You've been coming out in Minnesota. It's really beautiful that time of year. Then you and I can drive 26 hours to Vegas. It's going to be a blast. You'll be so sick of me. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good, but I wouldn't even be allowed into Minnesota. I'd have to be across the border in Canada somewhere. Um, <laughs> Jim, and I'm not even sure I can get into Canada. In fact, all of my European <laughs> friends who have gone to Vegas have gone via either Costa Rica or Mexico. Oh. Yeah, we're we're pretty discriminating up here. It's true. <laughs> yeah. John, John, I thought you? you were trying to get them to come, not try to scare them away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Our, our hey, I've spent 12 hours in the car with Steve, <laughs> and I'm just telling you, you better be prepared if you're going to be spending longer than that. At least we broke it up six and six, right? Yeah. Yeah. Five days break in the middle. Well, Dara, we will let you go. Any, any final any final word from the, the tournament? They're still on the bubble. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. My student had to fold small yeah. blind and big blinds. So two, and a half, two and a half bigs. Not looking good. Bubble needs to go in the next few hands. Stay yep. strong. Stay yeah. strong. Stay, hide your stack. Don't let anybody see it. Yeah. All right, Dara. Well, thank you so much, man. A pleasure, as always. Good luck. Uh, the chip race, uh, the lock-in videos on YouTube, on the chip race channel. You guys got to check that stuff out. 
Uh, if you're, if you, I still think as a recreational player that satellites are a great way to increase your ROI, mm. especially as you're like, if you struggle with like, man, I get to the top 10, top 20%, but I just, I can't, yeah, I can't go for the win. Play satellites, get 4X on your money. Do that a bunch of times until you get more comfortable. But buy Dara's book, he'll help you just crush satellites. Uh, the PKO book, I know for a lot of folks that play online, PKO is a thing. Mm. Uh, they got a, He's got a book on that. So go check all of his stuff out. Uh, just a great dude, great friend of the show. Uh, we really endorse everything he is. And by, by the end of August, he swore on his grave that he would have his <laughs> next book out. So, <laughs> so watch for that too. But Dara, we'll, we'll let you go. Man. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks, guys. Pleasure as always. Cheers. Right. Take care, Dara. Jim, you want to transition us with our, uh, with our sponsor for the show? Let's do it. Let's hear what Jonathan has to say. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? No. What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace-king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. All right, good stuff. Thank you, Jonathan, for uh, for doing the advertising on the show. Dara, always a pleasure, you know, for sure. Any, any kind of thoughts, guys? Any reactions? Just seems like one of those folks that would be fun to play with around the table, you know? I'd always like to, I'm always keeping track, always keeping notes on which guests we should invite to the uh, Rec Poker live table one of these days. He's on the list. Nice. You know, I was thinking about playing the seniors tournament, but now that I know Dara's thinking about <laughs> entering it, I may have to... <laughs> we think your whole life after talking to these last yeah. few weeks we talked to veronica Brill, we talked to darrell kearney like you got to rethink our whole life after talking to <laughs> super fun well um so, so last week uh i was out thanks for covering you guys uh like i said i just listened to that episode right before this one i'm like oh man, i'm like a flubbering mess it's so much fun because you know, we got a story, right? All of us have a story. That's the beauty of community is that we've, we've all, done, all got these stories of meeting each other. And it's so fun to hear, hear Rob and John and Chris and Jim and all, you know, you guys all kind of talk about your story. So that was super fun. But we didn't last week because I was sick coming out of Vegas. John made me incredibly sick. <laughs> for days. It was physically, well, it was emotional, like everything. You know, I just wanted to butt in here uh, and <laughs> cut you off for once. That's uh, nice. This was, it was actually all Jim's idea. He said, <laughs> Why don't we do a podcast where we all say how we met Steve and pretend like we actually like him? That is how it started. So that was the that whole is how it started. Yep, yeah, that was the. I, I got that vibe. I got because <laughs> started with Rob right away when he's he said a few things. I'm like, this guy's just lying through his teeth. Like, there's no way this guy enjoyed the kind. <laughs> no, it was it wasn't even about you know me. It was just about the community, right? It was so fun because you know I talked to my wife about all these cool people I've met in poker. And now recently we have had the opportunity, you know, John, you came up to the house and Chris has been yep. up to the house and just hanging out with you guys. And it's like, this is life to me uh, beyond the, the poker and all that kind of stuff. So it's just been super fun. But anyway, I was, I was kind of a mess. It was a bad time to actually listen to it. <laughs> because I was still sick coming off the trip too. So I was run down, but uh, man, so we never, never really had a chance to talk about run good, but uh, you know, it was so much fun down there, you guys. So we're already looking for what's our next road trip. We know we got the Vegas, We'll have the house there, but it was, I don't know, John, we, we had a blast. I mean, we had five or six people in the house. 
we had about 16 people from Minnesota that were down there, took some great pictures and it was just super fun, right? Railing each other and celebrating wins. And, you know, when, when I hear people say what they like about rec poker, it's really about the attitude, the good community, that everyone is very supportive of one another. And I think that's the exact same attitude and philosophy that Run Good brings to their tournament environments. Uh, it was just a, I've heard, this was my first Run Good tournament. Uh, I've heard fantastic things about them for years and uh, they definitely lived up to all of the hype. It was a, an excellent experience. It may have been even better in my mind, given that I outlasted Steve in the main event. <laughs> and uh, it's the first time I've got to play a live tournament in well over a year. So, you know, that mm -hmm. I'm sure helped, but it was, it was absolutely fantastic. And if anyone ever has a chance to go to a run good event, I suggest that they jump on that. Yeah, same thing here. That's I've kept hearing good things. People are like, oh, you should partner with Run Good. We just never really had the opportunity to. But yeah, they, they run a good show. Tana and his crew are top-notch, great people. And, you know, I was just so proud to be part of Rep Poker, too, because there's so many people that were wearing patches or sweatshirts or hats. And I, I would talk to the dealers, and they were like, you know, every time you guys are at the table, it's just either really fun or it's just so respectful or, you know, you guys are pushing your chips in so we can grab them. And, you know, it just I, I was so proud to be part of it because I think there's a really good brand name coming out of there. So thanks to everybody that was down there that was participating and kind of repping the brand. You know, it's always your worst fear, right? As you grow, people start wearing the patches and they're complete dicks at the table. Uh, we haven't had that yet. So uh, if, if you're one of those folks, <laughs> don't, wear, don't wear a patch. Don't wear a patch. <laughs> but if you're a good person, wear a patch because that's what <laughs> But anyway, it was great time. And John, yeah, it worked out good. John and I drove down together and we were the last two standing in the main. And I think you know, maybe you lasted maybe another hour after I did or something. So it wasn't too bad. Yeah. You know, we, we timed it out pretty well, but doggone it, John, we were 20 people away from getting part of that 26 K chop. So <laughs> next time, next time we'll get in there. Absolutely. <laughs> that was fun. Well, let's, uh, let's shift gears. Let's talk a little, uh, little home games, man. What's this? All right. Well, you know, while we were gone, they still had home games and <laughs> we've been running them every day. Uh, so, what we have is for our nightly events, we have Howitzer 2007 got his second, his or her second nightly win. Keto Man 335, Kian Tavacoli got his first nightly victory for the year. Dan 33-1480 got his or her, most likely his, uh, first <laughs> nightly victory for the year. Cash 1016, Kevin Leiter got his first nightly victory for the year. And Graphics 16, Roger mm. Shoot got his second of the year. And coming on strong, Don't Chase 666, Joseph Armstrong got his fourth nightly victory for the year. Very nice. Then for our uh, Daily Series Mixed event, we had Diabolicu, David Arminson got, won his first mixed uh, event for the year. And on international events, Rocket Box Poker, Woody Adams got his Woody. fifth international. I think he's trying to get take over Graybeck's lead, although I think <laughs> Doug has like double digits. So yeah, but but Woody's Woody's ripping it in these uh Saturday morning tournaments. He cannot be stopped. He is a force to uh beware of. And the next guy up here as well is also kicking it on Saturdays. It's great to see these guys. Yeah, Evil Roy CA, David Westerveld got his fourth international series victory for the beautiful. Year. So if you guys want to, you know, give them a hard time, 
sign up for those early morning <laughs> tournaments. It's right? Right. Uh, 8 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Saturdays, Central Standard Time. And it's a, it's a little, it's a little, I'm, I'm going to say easier just because the field sizes are smaller, but it's a little bit easier to punch your ticket for the monthly TOC to go after a silver pin by going through those avenues. Oh, I just got a, just got a Twitter notification from Dara. It said the student made it with half a big blind. Come on. <laughs> Live update. Thank you, Dara. Yes, That's thank awesome. you, Dara. That is awesome. <laughs> wow. Half a big blind. That's beautiful. That's for that you know, is excellent. Event, right. So it's probably what, seven, eight grand for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And you know, I uh, got a tweet from evil Roy. He said that it had given him motivation. He saw that he was kicked out of the championship club. So just so everyone knows mm. every month, once the TOC entries are determined, I go through and I uh, suspend all members who are not eligible for this uh, month and I reinstate members who are eligible for this month and you get a little email notification saying you've been <clears> suspended <throat> not because of anything you did wrong <laughs> just because you didn't qualify you just suck and yeah exactly and Eva Roy said you know I, that was my motivation I did not want to receive another one of those letters so he punched his ticket this works we have we have one more too fourth of July the learn pro poker Yep, Fourth mm. of July. Uncle Tom's Cabin. Jeff S. won his very first Learn Pro Poker event for the year, so he can contact Jim Reed and earn his free month at Learn Pro Poker. Yeah, that's I right. Played with Jeff S. He came to our reunion tournaments too. So, ah. well, a number of these folks did too. But uh, yeah, great, great dude. Yeah, I've seen Uncle Tom's Cabin's name in the uh, in the window there quite a bit. So oh, yeah. good for them. Nice, nice. Good hey, hey John, remind me. Tell I haven't gotten. I haven't played for a couple of weeks. I was in Iowa, then I was sick, so I'm really missing this deal. But what is? I know this Wednesday we're recording on Monday, July 5th. So, um, what, what's the mixed game coming up for the second Wednesday? Uh, the it's going to be Omaha High Low Limit. Okay. Omaha High Low. Okay, nice. So that's the deal. Every Saturday we added a mixed game practice so if you're not familiar with the mixing you right. can every saturday and then get ready for the big monthly series on the second wednesday so yeah that'll give you a, either depending upon the month either four or five shots at practicing before you have to actually play the mixed game for the championship series so you have no excuses not to play <laughs> i'm already calling uh top three in the monthly the monthly tournament uh on monday oh. July. Colin, Colin anderson not for myself i'm assuming oh. <laughs> This the guy is a ton of tear with our home games, ACR, the whole deal. So yeah, I, I I am I have also a solid prediction. I have a prediction that I will not be in the top three <laughs> or the top twenty or the top field. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling my name is not going to show up anywhere on there. There will be no Poker Geek MN playing no, I anywhere. See, I do yeah. see in our, in our uh, production notes here, I actually see a little small date print at the bottom of the page there. Is that something that's publicly available to mention at the bottom of the home games thing? Yeah, oh, this September 18th. September 18th is going to be our next Heads Up event. So it is the third Saturday of the month in... Uh, June, September, June, December. September, yeah, June, September, and December. So September 18th is going to be our next Heads Up event. So uh, be prepared for that. It'll be at mm. 1 p.m. Central Time. And what so did we have last time? How many folks played that one or registered? Uh, I think it was about 26. Yep. That sounds about right. 
And Kelly, Kelly ended up winning that thing, right? Kelly Stork. Yes, she did. Right. And yeah. yours truly came in second place. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there. nice run, John. Nice run. Yeah. yeah, Kelly beat both of us to get to the crown there. Maybe you guys should have yeah. checked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, you know, we could have at least waited till the, the final 11 of us could have shot. Well, actually, you know, if you really want to reduce your variance, if it's a 26 person tournament, um, I always advocate just splitting up the prize pool 26 ways and uh, really flattening that payout curve you know just, that just... does yeah well actually what you can do then is just don't even play the tournament just Take the rake money out just... of your pocket pay that to the casino yeah, and then just right. walk home and say hey i cashed, I cashed. and everyone can make the buy in their own amount too i mean you could you could say i cashed ten dollars or you could say i cashed five thousand dollars yeah amazing amazing I, I think, think we ought to market the that. next level thinking that we need, John. This is the kind yep. of this is the kind of approach we need at Red Poker. So, so September 18th, that's going to be good timing. That's going to be good heads up practice for when we're all playing for a bracelet. Yes, uh, yes. A reminder on that deal, Red Poker House. We do have openings, so just reach out to me, Steve at Rec Poker. We got a beautiful house. It's a little bit off the strip intentionally. Uh, we'll have a car, we'll have Ubers, all that kind of stuff, but it's. It's got a pool table, it's got a pool, it's got a poker table, it's got a bunch of bedrooms, it's got a bunch of big open space uh, designed to be a kind of a respite uh, from playing when you're not at the, at the table. So if that's of interest, reach out, I can give you all the details, or just go to record road trips. And remember, I've already given Steve the dates that I will be there. So if you <laughs> want to find out when you should go to avoid me, yes. you'll have all of that information. That's, that's public information. I'll tell you who's there and who you don't want to be around. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, Jim Reed's gonna be out there, so you clearly don't want to be there. Then. Yep, avoid. <laughs> Good well, thanks, John, for all the home game stuff. What else we got, gentlemen? Uh, well, I should say um, Dara's student has quadrupled up to two big blinds, so that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. They're I don't know how that affects their equity. We should talk about get someone on the show who can talk about that. <laughs> um, I should say that there's still room to sign up for the July seminar that Chris Jones is doing. Uh, it's it's going to be on the fourth Monday. All premium members and Wrecking Crew members are welcome. It is so much fun. Um, we're just releasing the video. Um, actually, it'll be out by the time you come out. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, you can go to rec.poker uh, slash content and see all sorts of great stuff there. But um, yeah. If you're a member, sign up for the seminar and uh, join Chris Jones in the panel as we do our interactive uh, learning thing with Poker Now. It is a blast. Yep. And just all kinds of great stuff. I mean, you know, we, we go on and on. Sometimes we do. <laughs> go to rec.poker. Like Jim and Mark have been working feverishly on the site. It looks so good. It's so much cleaner, so much crisper. We're still going to clean it up even more, but it should be obvious. Get there. Check everything out. If you're a community member, which means you're just a free member, you have access to a ton of stuff. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, and then if you want to become a premium member, pay five bucks for the first month, use the code rec poker, get 10 bucks out that first one, check it out. Uh, but, but we really, you know, Jim and I've been talking about this too. It's really like, that's the, the community center. You know, the, the website is really our community center. We're getting bigger. We can't all do all the one-on-one -on -one stuff as much as we still try. Uh, but, but go to rec.poker. That's the community center. And from there, make the connections with the people that you want, that you want to make connections with, find the topics that you're interested in. Find the road trips that that is where to start. So just, you know, drive down to the community center, open the door. You know, <laughs> you should be obvious where to go if you want to play horseshoes or if you want to 
go eat at the buffet or go to hang on the corner with us just go check it out that's that's kind of our, our central location so uh, we'd love to meet you there and, and just uh, start these great relationships with all you guys so uh, we love it anything else uh, for the good of the order guys that we need to chat about I don't think so looking forward to seeing you at rec poker all right so rec.poker we do have a newsletter the twerp this week at rec poker in rec poker so you can sign up for that kind of keep informed all that stuff but thank you Dara O'Kearney uh, Jim John fantastic stuff it was great to have uh, Paul and Eric and Martha in the chat as well. Uh, let's thank uh, Running East's Casino Racetrack and Hotel. You guys are awesome. Uh, website Mark, uh, fantastic stuff on Website Amp. Great stuff. We'll catch y'all uh, next week.